0: How much should your book cost? This may sound like a simple question, but how you answer it has a huge impact on how well your book sells. Get this right and your book has an edge. Get it wrong and your book may fail. Price is so important, it is one of the five P's of Marketing 101. Uh, And that's a famous episode that we uh, did a while back, if you want to listen to it. It is episode 61, the five P's. Of marketing. When you're pricing a book, there is a psychological phenomenon called anchoring that will give you the edge you need. Uh, So, what is anchoring and how can you use it to get that edge? Well, stick around to find out. I'm Thomas Sumstat, the CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast. In the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. And before we talk about pricing, I have some exciting news. Writers Digest just featured Author Media as one of the 101 most helpful websites for authors. They said Author Media's tagline is making writers famous. By listening to their podcast, which is Novel Marketing, on marketing and promoting your book, you'll be well on your way to reaching that goal. So thank you to Writers Digest. Uh, for featuring us and saying those nice things. And while authormedia.com has been featured many times with Writer's Digest, this is the first time they've mentioned the podcast, which is very exciting. So let's talk about anchoring. Uh, anchoring is what gives numbers meaning. Or put in another way, prices have no value without an anchor. Is $80 a good price? It depends on what you're buying and what the anchor price is. If the thing that you're buying is normally $100, is a deal. If the thing normally costs $50, $80 is a ripoff. So what you compare the number to is so critical. So when people look at the price of your book, the price itself is only half of the story. The other half of the story is what they're comparing your price to. This is something that you can influence. This is something that you must influence. When I was a kid, I internally anchored all prices to paying 25 cents on an arcade game. For 25 cents, I could buy between one minute and five minutes on the one arcade game at the mall I was any good at. And so, should I buy an action figure for $5 or should I spend that money on an arcade game? And to answer that, I would calculate quickly, not doing actual math, but I would just compare the amount of fun I would get for a $5 action figure compared to a $25 arcade game. Now that I'm older, my anchor, at least for entertainment, is a movie, a two-hour movie. It costs about $25 to take my wife to a two-hour movie. It comes out to $12.50 per entertainment hour. So how does X compare to that price? I use that movie price as a kind of universal anchor across all entertainment. And now more commonly, people will use category-specific anchors kind of like what I've has shifted so as a child i anchored all prices to a 25% arcade game now i only anchor entertainment prices to watching a movie and for a lot of people it's that category specific anchor when they're buying a car they're only comparing the price of that car to other similar cars when buying a book they compare the price to other similar books the other products in your category anchor your price or they can if you don't do some of the things we're going to talk about in this episode. What category you put your book in determines the price. While $4.99 for an, a romance ebook may seem expensive, it's a bargain for a legal book. Now here's the interesting thing about anchoring. Any number can be an anchor. Anchoring is a well-studied phenomenon. And in one famous study, researchers wanted to know if what kinds of numbers anchored and how that connection works, I want to actually share. I don't read a lot of scientific studies here, but this is a quick summary from Kahneman and Tversky's paper uh, Judgment Under Uncertainty Heuristics and Biases. So here's what they did To answer the question about how numbers relate to each other, uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, two very famous psychologists, did an interesting What they did was they created a Wheel of Fortune wheel, and they would have subjects spin the wheel, and the wheel was rigged where it only hit one of two numbers. And then, after they spun the wheel, they were asked what the percentage of UN membership was accounted for by African countries. Was higher or lower than the number on the wheel? And afterwards, the estimates were asked to give an estimate. So, obviously, the number that they roll on the wheel has nothing to do with with the number of nations in the UN that are in the, uh, in the continent of Africa, right? Everyone knows that, right? And yet, the number they rolled on the wheel had a pronounced impact on the estimates. When the wheel landed on a 10, the average estimate given by the subjects was 25%. When the wheel landed on 60, the average n- estimate was 45%. A random number had an anchoring effect pulling subjects' estimates closer to the number uh, that they had been shown. This is a study that has been reproduced many times in many contexts. And what it shows us is that as humans, we're really bad with numbers. Numbers have no meaning to us uh, without context, and that context is called anchoring. Anchoring is why Amazon shows you the list price of the book with a slash through it. They sell more copies of the book when they show you the list price and then show you the lower price. Anchoring is why stores at the mall are always having, quote, sales, unquote, even though the um, products sometimes are never for sale at full price, at least in the United States. It's very common if a store is anticipating selling a shirt for $5 to first list that shirt for $25 and then put it on sale. 80% 80% off where you only get it for $5. That was the intended price all along. But because it's marked down from that higher price, people treat the shirt like it's a $25 shirt. Even though pretty much all clothes are made from the same handful of factories in Bangladesh. There's not a big difference between the $100 shirt and the $10 shirt. It's all marketing. <laughs> this anchoring is also why most prices end in 9 because they're anchoring to that higher number. $9.99 seems cheaper than $10, or at least it used to. I think it still does, but perhaps not as much as it did back in the day. Now, if you're not careful, if you're not intentional with your anchoring, it can blow up in your face. If you don't plan your anchor price, other people will do it for you. And this is almost always bad for you. And there's a good example of this going very, very badly. And that is software... For phones. Now, when you buy software for your computer, it's not uncommon for you to spend $20, $50, $100, right? You probably have Microsoft Word on your computer and you're probably paying $50 a year, $75 a year for Microsoft Word for your computer. And that did not seem like a big price for you. You don't have trouble paying $30 for Scrivener or $60 for Scrivener. And yet, software for the iPhone or software for the Android. feels like a fortune, right? People lose their minds over spending $10 on an app. Why? Because the early popular apps were free, right? The Facebook app was free. The email app was free. And because these early apps were free, people anchored to the free app. They started to believe that software for phones should be free, even though somebody's got to make it and somebody's got to support it and patch the bugs and keep the security up to date yet because as a society, we anchor to that free point, it makes it really hard for app developers to make quality and expensive apps. And so a lot of them have to rely on making money in other ways, like selling your data. So there, there's always a cost. Somebody is paying for that free app. And if it's not you, it's advertisers or data brokers. It's really hard to make money if the anchor price for your book is a free book. If people are comparing the price of your book to a free book, there's not a lot of room there for you to make a profit. Now the most money I've ever spent on a book was three hundred and fifty dollars. It was a required textbook for college and the least I've ever spent on a book is zero dollars for a free ebook on Kindle. So most books have an anchoring problem, right? They're anchored not to that three hundred fifty college textbook. They're anchored to the zero dollar ebook. And indie authors particularly are in a race to the bottom when it comes to pricing. And as Seth Godin says, the problem with a race to the bottom is that you might win or worse, come in second. There's actually some big advantages to being the very lowest low price option. There's a certain kind of person who has a worldview that tells them that they only buy the cheapest option all the time, which means you get those people for free and you don't have to do any marketing to attract them because they'll always go for the cheapest option. The last thing you want to be is the second cheapest option where you're not making any money and you're not getting all those people with that worldview. Okay, so we've explained a little bit about how anchoring works and when it goes wrong. Now let's talk about how you can anchor your book's price and how you can do it on purpose. So let's talk about some classic anchoring methods, and then I've got some methods for fiction and nonfiction that are specific. So a classic anchoring method is to have a higher list price for your book than what it sells for on Amazon. So a $9.99 book will feel a lot cheaper at $4.99 than a $4.99 book feels at $4.99. So this is what a lot of traditional publishers do. They have a high list price, and then they discount from that list price. And if you are indie published, this often happens with your paper book. Without your knowledge or even consent, Amazon will fiddle with that price all around as its algorithm tries to find the optimum price. But it's almost always less than list price. Unless You know, something random is happening like a global pandemic and they're deprioritizing books and raising the price on all the books to discourage people from buying paper books. Not that that would ever happen, (laughs) Uh, but it won't happen for long if that were to ever happen again. Uh, Another classic anchoring method is to get a lot of reviews. A $4.99 book feels cheaper when there's 50 reviews than it does when there's four reviews, right? If you only have four reviews and your price is higher than the number of, of reviews, Your price is going to feel big. Now, yes, this is irrational, right? People shouldn't connect the number of reviews to the price of the book. And yet, that's exactly how they do it uh, over and over again. Humans are bad with numbers. Uh, And I'm learning this as a father. I'm trying to teach my daughter uh, the concept of numbers. (laughs) And so far, uh, at uh, 18 months old, 19 months old, it's still a little vague that the number of fingers and the number of items, that there's a correlation there. And that doesn't come naturally to us. This is something that she understands language. She can understand almost everything we say now. And yet numbers are still hard for her to grasp. That never fully goes away for humans. Um, some other ways of classically anchoring your book. Uh, one is to create scarcity. Right, If you create a rare premium version of your book, this is a, a strategy I, I, I will keep emphasizing on this show until I see more people doing it. If you create a limited edition hardback, signed and numbered, copy of your book and it's available for sale for a hundred dollars it's going to make the rest of your book options the ebook and the paperback feel cheaper and there's a famous study actually was done in grocery stores about this he found that if they had twenty dollar bottles of wine at the end of the wine section of the grocery store people would go in and they'd spend about ten dollars for a bottle of wine because typically people just don't know much about wine so they pick one that's kind of in the middle right they don't want to get one that's too cheap they don't want to get one that's too expensive But what the grocery stores found was that if they put a $100 bottle of wine at the end of the wine aisle and you walk past the premium $100 bottle of wine, they would end up buying a more expensive wine in the wine aisle, closer to $20 or even $30. And so grocery stores now often, you can check your grocery store when you go, and look how expensive the wine is at the end of the aisle. And what you may not realize is that they have no intention of selling that $100 bottle of wine. The $100 bottle of wine is there to make the $30 bottle of wine seem like a good deal. That is the power of anchoring. The more you know, (laughs) the more you know about how this works, the less you uh, might be influenced by it. But I'm not actually convinced that that's true. I am still influenced by anchoring, even though I understand the science of anchoring. That is how powerful anchoring is. Another way to uh, change how your book is anchored is to change the venue. So where someone buys a book has a big impact on how much they spend. If people buy a book online, they're expecting to get a discount. If they buy the book uh, at the back of the room, after somebody has spoken and they're signing it, they're expecting to pay list price. If they pay for that same book on Kickstarter, they're expecting to pay a premium. Uh, books on Kickstarter normally pay for go for $20 to $30 for a copy of the book. And I recently spent $100 for a signed and numbered hardback on Kickstarter. People are happy to pay more for a book depending on the venue. So when you skip going on Kickstarter, when you skip the crowdfunding step, you're leaving money on the table. Money that you could use to tell more people about your book and ultimately have a bigger impact with your book. Because I know a lot of authors are like, oh, I'm not in it for the money. My spouse makes lots of money and I don't need the book to you know, help pay the bills. That's fine. But if the book brings in more money, it helps you pay for more advertising which helps more people read the book and so you hit your other goals. Another way to anchor the price of your book is to put large numbers on the book. So uh, if you put 10,000 copies sold on the cover it will make that $8.99 price feel cheaper. So there's a lot of ways you can put kind of uh, credibility numbers on your book and from an anchoring perspective it doesn't really matter what the number is. It just needs to be a big number all right so let's talk about some fiction anchoring methods there's a it's a little bit harder to find kind of unique uh fiction anchoring methods and they're harder to put on the book itself but in your marketing copy you can perhaps compare the book to a more expensive um form of entertainment so for example you could say this book is cheaper than going to a movie and yet way more fun uh you can also compare it to a vacation right this 20 dollars novel will feel like a vacation to hawaii and uh You know, you have to deliver on that promise, but I know of uh, books that felt like vacations to space, and they were quite fun, and they didn't cost as much as a rocket ship. And I didn't have to put up with all the stupid rules of science about, you know, faster than light travel making me an old man or making everyone else an old man uh, while I traveled. So it's it's a win-win. Some nonfiction anchoring methods. Uh, Sometimes novelists can use these if they're creative, but they tend to work better for nonfiction authors. Uh, One is to compare to your consulting rate. So let's say you're a lawyer and you've written a book about law. You could say, I normally charge $250 an hour for consulting, and this book has 10 hours of my knowledge packed into it for only $20, right? So you're making the case that this book has $2,500 worth of knowledge in it, and yet it's only $20, right? That's a really strong comparison. In fact, this was a big aha for me. When I was first starting as a business owner, I realized that all the top consultants who would charge two, three, four hundred dollars an hour? All of them had written books, and those books were only twenty dollars on Audible or fifteen dollars on Audible. I was like, I'm just going to buy books and not whine about how expensive they are. And so, I bought I've bought over eight hundred audiobooks since then, and it's been a great education. And so, uh, it's important for us to help readers stop whining about the price of our books because books are the best value compared to anything else, right? You compare them to entertainment, They're uh, the, all the entertainment alternatives, they're a really great value. The only thing that beats a book in value is potentially a video game, but not even then, always. When it comes to getting knowledge, a book is always the cheapest. Nothing compares to a book. Uh, even watching free YouTube videos may not compare to a book because you spend a lot of wasted time going from YouTube video to YouTube video, So, uh, which is another way for nonfiction authors to... Anchor their book is you can compare it to other ways of learning that same information. A great example of this is the book, The Personal MBA. Right? The Personal MBA is comparing what you learn in that book to an MBA program. Right, This $15 book is being compared to a $50,000 education. Right, What a great comparison. Now, it's got to deliver. Right, It's making a promise here. It's got to deliver on that promise. But based off of its reviews and its uh, ongoing popularity, I would say that it's doing a good job uh, delivering on this promise. So when you go to Amazon and you see there's a book that's $15, it's called The Personal MBA, Master the Art of Business. It's got 913 reviews and uh, four and a half stars. you're gonna be thinking really hard about spending $50,000 on that MBA program, at least without reading this book first. Uh, Another way to anchor your price for your nonfiction book is to compare it to the cost of hiring somebody to do it for you. Right. Hiring a contractor to renovate your bathroom would cost $10,000, but this $20 book will show you a stress-free way to do it yourself for only $500. Right. So that kind of comparison is like, learn how to do it yourself and save money. And then the final way to anchor your book's price is to compare it to the value that your book delivers. Right? What would you pay to have a better relationship with your children? $500? $1,000? This book will help you better connect with your children and it only costs $20. So do you see how that makes the $20 feel cheaper than comparing this $20 parenting book to some other parenting book that's only 15 uh, this is the power of anchoring when you pick what your anchors are you can make your price look better or worse and if you don't pick your anchors others will pick your anchors and that's going to be bad for you so a warning uh, price signals value so we can't talk about pricing strategy without also talking about value signaling Different people have different kinds of world views when it comes to money. Some people always buy the highest quality thing. Some people always buy the cheapest thing. Some people are looking for the best bang for their buck, and this often changes on a person-by-person basis and a category-by-category basis. Somebody who's very cheap in the kinds of computers they buy might be very expensive in the kinds of cars that they buy because they really value safety. Uh, whereas somebody else, I have a good friend who drives a smart car, tiny little smart car, because he doesn't care about cars, but he has a top-of-the-line, super-fast computer. So he buys quality when he buys computers, and he buys price when he buys his cars. In most uh, markets, and in fact almost all markets, there's three strategies that are good, successful strategies when it comes to uh, value signaling. And those are quality, being the best, uh, value, which is like a bang for the buck, and price, which is being the cheapest option. And you can find one company that has different products at all three of these price points. So the Toyota company sells Lexus cars at the quality point, they sell Toyota cars at the value point, and they sell used Toyota cars at the price point. And that is how they're able to have products for all of the different kinds of buyers. So everyone, when I teach on this, pretty much everyone, when they hear about the three, they all want to go with a value strategy. Because for most people, that fits their worldview most of the time, or at least the worldview they tell themselves. And this is the hardest strategy to successfully execute. Why? Because the decisions are harder. So how much should you spend on editing and on the cover of your book? Should you go If you're going with a quality pricing strategy, you want to hire the best cover designer you can find and the very best editors that you can find regardless of how expensive they are. If you're going for a low price strategy, you want to find the cheapest cover. Maybe go with a template or a pre-made cover, and you want to go with the cheapest editors you can find. Maybe exchange editing with another author so you don't have to pay for it. All the decisions, though, get harder when you're trying to go for that value. Should you spend more money on the editing or should you spend more money on the cover? It makes it complicated. It doesn't make it impossible, but it just makes it Difficult. It requires more expertise, more knowledge, more savvy, and more scrappiness, right? It's really easy to just always buy the cheapest thing. It's really easy to buy the highest quality thing. And then, compounding this challenge is that since most people are going for the value strategy, it's also the highest competition in most market segments. Everyone's trying to be the value player. Very few people have the courage to be the most expensive or to be the cheapest. Uh, Being different seems risky. And yet, that's where the safety is. <laughs> By being different, you stand out from the crowds. So let's talk about when to be more expensive and when to be less expensive from your competition. Having the most expensive book in your category signals quality, but if you're going to go with this strategy, everything about your book needs to scream quality. If you're only spending $1,000 on your cover, don't think you can get away with premium pricing on your book you're going to need to have not just a good cover and good editing but also high ratings and good reviews to make a quality strategy work this is the strategy that most traditionally published books use and why traditionally published books tend to have higher prices on Amazon so while the average price for an indie book is somewhere between 399 and 599 depending on the category for the ebook uh, the average traditionally published book is somewhere between 499 and 12 99 It's not uncommon for me to see traditionally published ebooks priced above $9.99, even though they're getting penalized potentially by Amazon for picking that premium price. But they're trying to signal quality, they're trying to signal exclusivity. And it's not uncommon for traditional publishers to spend $1,000, $2,000, sometimes more on the cover. Really, top books might have a $10,000 plus budget for the cover design and they're working with top artists top designers and they're going through lots and lots of rounds of iteration custom photography potentially sometimes custom uh, computer graphics development even that super simple cover that you think looks really thrown together may have a really expensive designer working on it and it costs the publisher a lot of money so when do you go uh, and price below the competition well some readers always go with the cheapest option and so if you are the cheapest option, those readers will pick you, right? The, this is the reason to price down. Uh, and the way to make money with cheap books is to, there's several ways to do it. One is to write a lot of them, right? When you, which you can't do in uh, numbers, just make it up in volume, right? <laughs> if you're only making a dollar a book, if, you're, you know, if you've written 100 books and they each sell 100 copies, you're going to be fine <laughs> So, uh, a month. If you have 100 books selling 100 copies a month, you're, that'll pay the bills. Another way to make cheap work is to find other ways to make money besides the purchase price of the book. So have you wondered why big screen smart TVs are so cheap? These days you can go out and buy a 50 inch, 60 inch TV, sometimes for only $500, right? The prices have collapsed. How? Well, it's because those TV manufacturers have found other ways of making money, one of which is selling your viewer data. They track what movies you watch, and they sell that data to advertisers. Another way they make money off of you is by selling you movies. The TV, the smart TV will sell you movies directly, and if you buy the movie from the television, they get a cut of the money. And because they're making money outside of the TV, they don't need to make as much money with the TV itself, they might even be willing to sell you the TV at a loss or at a break-even price, because they they're going to make it up selling your data and selling you uh, rentals and whatnot. Uh, so some novelists will use the same strategy. Well, they'll price a book at zero dollars. Like, how can you make money on a free book? Well, actually, this can be an incredibly profitable strategy. If you're writing your books in a series, right? If you write an amazing book one and it's got a high read-through rate where people read it and they're ready for book two, you can give away book one for free and make up the money on sales of book two. And if you have a 10 book series, giving away book one to sell books two through 10 is a very solid strategy. Some nonfiction authors will give their books away for cheap or free as a way of promoting more expensive products like a course or more expensive services like uh, legal counsel, right? If you're a lawyer, uh, it might make sense to give away copies of your book for free and treat them like expensive business cards, right? Which lawyer are you going to hire? The one who wrote the book on the topic that you have a question about or the other guy, right? In that case, the book is totally worth it whether the author makes money on the book or not. So, those are some times when you want to price below the competition and you can still make money doing it. So, some final thoughts price is something you want to be strategic about. You want to pick your price on purpose and you want to pick your anchor price on purpose because both of those things tell half the story. So, you want to pick what you're being compared to, you want to pick What you are, what your price is. And if you're traditionally published, this is something you want to talk through with your publisher and understand their strategy. You can have this conversation, and now you'll understand why they're selling your book at a premium. You may disagree with it, but at least now you understand their rationale and why they're doing it that way. And maybe you can convince them to use a different strategy, and you'll have the vocabulary to explain why you think. This other strategy is different. There's no right way here. There are books that make money at $50 a book. There are books that make money at $0 a book. And The key is to pick the right fit for you, to pick the right fit for your book, and pick something that's sustainable in the long run. Our sponsor today is the Author Media Mastermind Groups. Would you like me to personally help you with your publishing goals? I've worked with thousands of authors from beginners to New York Times Best sellers, and I can help you go further, faster in your career. You can get personalized, interactive training and encouragement from me and from a small group of other masterminds with the Author Media Mastermind groups. We currently have at least one opening in each one of the groups. Each group is limited to only 10 authors. So you really do get personalized encouragement and feedback from me, both in the private Slack channel and in the video coaching sessions. You can find out more at authormedia.com. Our featured patron of the day is Peter DeHaan, author of 52 Churches. Peter and his wife visited a different Christian church every Sunday for a year. This book is their story. Discover more about Jesus' church, the people who go there, and just how vast the practices and worship are. And if you would like to become a patron like Peter Dehan, we will have a link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Peter, for helping keep this show on the air. We really, really appreciate it. And if you can't afford to become a patron but still want to help the show, you can. Just share this episode on a Facebook group of authors that you think would benefit from it. You might have a very interesting conversation afterwards about what prices should be. Last week I had a chance to watch the Dragon 9 rocket launch with my family. My wife came in. and She said, the, the rocket is launching in, in a minute <laughs> or 30 seconds. So we quickly pulled up YouTube and pulled up the live stream, and it reminded me of watching the last shuttle take off in uh, 2011. I was working uh, building author websites back then, and I was at a co-working space, and uh, some of the other nerds who were there at the co-working space threw up the rocket launch on the projector we all were working while we were watching the shuttle launch and it's just crazy to think of how much the world has changed during these nine years that america has not been sending rockets to space <laughs> like the world is different and my life is different back then i was a single man building websites and i'm a married father of two <laughs> And it was really fun to watch this rocket take off with my daughter on my lap, who was sitting and babbling at the computer screen the whole time. She didn't fully understand uh, what she was looking at. Uh, I think she would have preferred to look at videos of puppy dogs. But uh, she was enjoying it, and she was enjoying us being together. And it's amazing to see what we can accomplish as humans when we work together. We can take someone who was inside of the gravitational well of the earth and set them free from that where they are floating in free fall in space and able to live up there not just for hours but for days weeks and months it really is amazing anyway you've been listening to thomas umstead jr on the novel marketing podcast to find the blog version of this episode and to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically just visit novelmarketing.com thank you for listening and live long and prosper